Well, good morning. Everybody doing good this morning? Awesome. I love to hear it. I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. I'm glad we are able to worship together. Um, I have a couple quick announcements um, for us this morning. Um, I wanted you guys to be aware of this insert in your bulletin. It has a couple of our outreach opportunities coming up. Um, Particularly, I want to highlight uh, May 21st as our community prayer walk and our VBS um, distribution of, um, hey, an invitation stuff. Um, that's going to be May, Sunday, May 21st from 3 to 5. So I want to make you aware of that. Um, also, there's a lot of other things on here, so just read it. I won't insult your intelligence by reading that all to you. Um, there is a change on the actual bulletin under the playground renovation meeting. It is at 5 o'clock, not 4.30 today. 5 o'clock, not 4.30. Um, so please make note of that. Um, also, in the vestibule, I have put a... Youth and Kids Volunteer Sign-Up Board out there. It covers several months of stuff, so go out there and read it. See there's some stuff y'all might be interested in helping out and volunteering with because as we go through this transition period, we're going to need a lot more help um, making things happen. And I could really appreciate y'all coming alongside our youth and kids and making their events um, continue to happen. So that's out there next to the uh, Wednesday night meal thing. Also, thank you everybody who has signed up to feed our, our youth on Wednesday nights. Um, it's been a blessing. Thank you, Ms. Cheryl, for putting that board together. Um, the kids have loved it. It's been a great thing. Um, also, I want last thing I want to highlight for you guys is on May Monday, May 8th. Monday, May 8th, we're doing a family night at Mi Fuente. Um, we'll just kind of get together. Families, you're responsible for your own meal. Just to get together in fellowship um, and, our, and support our local business. Um, so that's going to be a great night. Monday, May 8th, I want to invite you guys to come and join us for that. Anybody's welcome to come. I think that is all my announcements that I have this morning. Make sure you guys are reading your bulletin. Make sure you guys are getting your bulletin. If you're not subscribed to our communicator, make sure you get subscribed to our communicator so you guys can be in the know of what's all going on around here. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, and I'm grateful for that. Um, Let's pray and get about worship and the reason we're here to be together this morning. Dear Father God, thank you for this day you've given to us. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we get to come together and not only sing your name, but also listen to your word and um, get around your word together in that form of worship, Lord. Um, Thank you for this team that leads us in worship. And Lord, thank you for this group that's in front of me um, that's helping us lead us in worship. Lord, just thank you for this day and all you've done for us. Especially I pray. Amen.
seated. Make an officer record for the praise name. Awesome. Anybody else? Cool. Right, how y'all doing this one? Whoa, that is really loud. How y'all doing? Good, good. Um, so what we're going to do today is, um, you guys remember that red book that I showed y'all last time? That was what every kid should know about God. This is what every kid, sh- every person, everyone a child should know. Um, Teachers, parents, this is a fantastic resource. Um, basically, it walks through just different characters throughout history and church history, regular history, um, of just these amazing people of the faith that just stood for God. And it just has same little thing with a picture and a little excerpt about their life of um, just people that can be role models in history for your kids. It's a great resource. We have a bunch of these resources um, down in our education office, formerly known as the library. Um, there's a lot of stuff down there, so go check it out. Um, still working on building that library up. So I think the most important person in this book I want to tell you guys about is, you guys can guess. Who's the most important person? Oh, there you go. Good job. All right. So the, the title of this is called Jesus, uh, You Can Be Jesus' Friend Too. Okay. Sorry. Sorry for the static. <laughs> I'm too magnetic, apparently. Um, question. Do you guys remember when you were really, really, really little, like a baby? Probably not. You do. You might. <laughs> how, how many of y'all have mom and dad still do everything for you? Parents, you can, let, you can be honest. How many of y'all still do everything for their, your kids? <laughs> Chris says no. They make them do stuff. I believe Chris. <laughs> um... When you couldn't even walk or talk, do you remember that? When you couldn't like read, walk, or talk, and grown-ups had to help you with everything? Taunt said no. <laughs> you know, without their help, you wouldn't be able to do anything or do anything you wanted to. You couldn't walk, you couldn't talk, you couldn't learn how to read. Without your mom and dad, you couldn't do anything. But Jesus says this, that everyone who wants to be his friend needs to be like a child. Everyone needs to be like you guys. Even grown-ups. That doesn't mean everyone has to be a size or an age, but that does mean that everyone has to see that they need Jesus' help. Just like you guys need mom and dad's help. We need Jesus' help. When Jesus was on earth, he did things only God can do. He stopped storms with just a whisper. He helped people who had no doctors and couldn't even help themselves. He even made people come alive again. You remember that story where he made Lazarus come back to life? Uh, That's Elijah, but yeah, similar to that. I'm proud of you to know that. No one else could do that. Only Jesus. No one else could help. Only Jesus could. Wouldn't you like to have a friend like that that could do things that no one else can do? If we want Jesus' friend, we need to ask for him, his help, one, with our sins. And sin is a little word, but it is a big problem. It's when we think we know better than Jesus does. Parents, how many can you attest your, your kids think they know everything already? <laughs> we, it's, a, it's a big problem. 
It's when we think we know better and we want things our way. How many of you get mad when things don't go your way? You don't get what you want. Sometimes, yeah. Thank you guys for being honest. But we can't be Jesus' friend if we're like that. Because Jesus never did anything wrong. But Jesus wants us to be friends so much that He died on the cross to forgive us of our sin so we can be His friends forever. And we need to be sorry for our sin and ask Jesus to forgive us and asking Him to help us do things His way, not our way. That makes sense? That we need Jesus' help and we need to do things His way, not our own way? Okay, like mom and dad says, hey, we got to do things a certain way. Like you got to clean your room the right way. You have to pick up your toys the right way. You have to take care of the farm stuff the right way. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And Jesus wants to help us do things the right way. Thumbs up if you got it. Awesome. Everyone got it. All right, let's pray and we can keep going with our worship service. Dear Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for good resources like this to help us point kids to Jesus. Um, you are amazing to inspire people to write good resources. I'm um, thankful for these kids, and I just pray that um, the Holy Spirit would convict their heart for them to come to know you, Lord, and that this church would come around them and raise them up in your truth. We love you, and we thank you. Especially when I pray. Amen. It's hard to explain to somebody what it's like to live on the street if they never lived on the street. Most of the people out on the streets either have mental illness or they have an addiction. I just went over the edge. Ended up getting heavy into some drugs, and I lost my job. I became homeless. I was constantly heat exhaustion, alcohol poisoning. Like I can literally say I was dying. Somehow, my parents got a hold of Kay, and that's what opened up the door for me to become sober. I met Yvonne, and she was homeless on the street, came to Friendship House, and things began to change in her life. Baptist Friendship House is a ministry center to folks that are impoverished, to folks that are unhoused, and to human trafficking survivors. We're able to provide them a meal. We're also able to meet those basic physical needs that that others may have. It opens the door to minister to the spiritual needs so that a life-changing relationship can begin with Jesus Christ. We have a creative arts time, and usually that's pottery. They'll begin to open up and start sharing things during that time. When you sit there and you have the clay in your hand, you know what you're going to be doing with it and what's going to become of it. But the clay doesn't know what it's going to have to go through to get to it. Sometimes our lives are broken and we're like just a big old lump of clay. And so lives can be molded and shaped by Jesus to be able to accomplish his perfect will. I have never seen a life change like Yvonne's. And it's just been amazing to watch God work in her life and then see how he's using her now in our ministry. I never would have thought that I would be where I am today because I had no hope. This place saved my life. When you give to Annie Armstrong, you help to make my ministry possible. Jesus never gives up on you. And so we should never give up on anybody else. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, ask your blessings over our tithes and offerings. Let us be reminded of how grateful we should be, Lord. We thank you for our freedom. We thank you for this beautiful day, our health, Lord, our loved ones. God, as we give back a portion of our tithes and offerings, we ask your blessings. We ask for the power of your kingdom to be spread through our community with it. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.
singing, I invite you to be seated. You know, the, the Bible tells us that in the, book of, in the book of Revelation, as we get a glimpse of what heaven looks like, as we get a glimpse of the splendor that awaits us, what we just sang is the theme of heaven. Worthy is the Lamb. And there's an underlying principle there. That it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what the time is. It doesn't matter what life throws at us. In all things, as times change, as seasons come and go, the Lamb remains worthy. He does not cease to be worthy. And He sits on His rightful throne as we proclaim His glory. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like to invite you to the book of Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. As today we will be closing out this, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter number 4. I want to start in verse number 7 and work our way down to the end of the chapter. Paul writes, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, as we have entered into this holy, most sacred hour, our prayer is that your word would impact us in such a way that your spirit 
would move within each of our hearts and each of our lives. Lord, that you would give us ears afresh to hear your voice. That you would give us eyes to behold the glory of your Son. Lord, our prayers that you would do in this time as only you can do. May we be impacted. May we be changed. May we be challenged. May all that is said and done bring honor and glory and exaltation to the name above all names, the name of Jesus. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. For some time now, we have been walking our way through the letter to the church at Colossae, and and we've seen how Paul has has been trying over and over to, to reveal to this church who the real Jesus is. How do you know who the real Jesus is? And, and the truth of the matter is, as with the church at Colossae, where, where so many people were, were taking all of these ideologies and taking all of these principles, all of these practices, and, and they were picking and choosing from these different things around them, trying to form some idea, some shape as to, to who Jesus is, the truth of the matter is, people today do the same thing. We begin to pick and choose these different things around us, these different ideologies, these different principles, these different philosophies, and we try to to take these and to shape them and form them into what we want Jesus to be. That's why we can honestly say that there are so many different Jesuses out there. We can talk about the health Jesus, the Jesus that just wants you to be healthy, He doesn't want any sickness to impact you. He doesn't want any kind of ailment to to afflict you. So He comes just to bring you health. We have the wealth and the prosperity Jesus who just wants you to be prosperous in all things. He wants you to abound in every amount that could ever come to you. We even have a tolerant Jesus who just accepts you as you are. You don't have to do anything about yourself. Just just be who you want to be. And I'll accept you as you are. We also have on the other end of the spectrum the strict and legalistic Jesus that says you have to do everything by the principle, by the book, by the letter, or you're wrong. You have to do everything strict. You have to follow nothing but legalistic rules. We have a carefree Jesus. I just want you to live a carefree life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And herein lies the problem that we face. People today think they can live the Christian life how they want to, based on the Jesus that they serve. That's where we're at. I live the Christian life my way. You live your Christian life your way. And we'll come together in the middle. I serve this kind of a Jesus. You serve that kind of a Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, there is one true Jesus. There is no other. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one of God. The only begotten of the Father. The chosen Messiah who has come to earth to save His people. The Lamb that we sing is worthy. The Lamb who sits on the throne in heaven. There is one Jesus. When we give our lives to the one true Jesus, 
our lives are forever changed. When we come to these different Jesuses, people can come to them and stay how they are. But the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, when we truly come to Him, we are truly forever changed. Dare I say, we are never the same again. That's why Jesus, in John chapter 3, told Nicodemus that he had to be born again. He couldn't stay the same. He had to have a new birth. That's why Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he tells us that, that the old life has gone. It no longer exists. The new has come. You are truly, truly, forever changed. Never to be the same again. As we look at this passage, what I call Paul's thank you list to all of the the men who had labored with him in his ministry. As we look at this passage, I think it's clear that we can see that there are three different areas where Jesus changes us and we are never the same again. Number one, he gives us a new position. All of these people that Paul mentions within these verses are saved people. Now that's a very bold statement. That all of these people are saved people. Well, well, how in the world can, can you know that these are saved people? Well, just look at, at the, some of the titles that Paul ascribes to them. He calls them his brothers. Using the, the family language as the family of God. He calls them his brothers. He says that some of these are are one of their number. They're part of that church. They're part of the brethren. They're part of that fellowship. Whenever Paul says that they are fellow and then gives an example, such as fellow servants or fellow prisoners, the interesting there is that the word fellow in the Greek language is actually just a prefix. That simply means to be in company with. So even there we see that they are part of the unified body of Christ. If we were able to ask any one of these people what the greatest impact has been on their lives, more than likely they would speak of the grace of God in giving them salvation. In giving them a new position. In the same way, this this should be the biggest and most important impact that Jesus makes in our life. We call this, in the biblical world, the doctrine of justification. The process of being made right before God. Being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and not of ourselves. Which is why Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 5, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, at one time, we were were against God. We were completely turned away from Him. We completely shamed His name and, and completely were totally in rebellion against Him. But because of what Christ has done through the work of the cross and the work of the empty tomb, we have been justified. We have a new position before God. In the book of John chapter 9, we can agree with the testimony of the blind man. 
When people asked, how, how in the world can you proclaim this, this new thing that has happened to you? How can you proclaim the truth of this man who has come to you? And he said, the only thing I know is that one time I was blind, but right now I can see. In Ephesians chapter 2, we can still proclaim with Paul that at one time we were dead in sins and trespasses. There was nothing that laid with us except for the tombstone. But now Christ has made us alive. We are living people. At the book of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says at one time you were alienated from God. You were completely separated from Him. There was nothing that could ever bring you to Him. But now because of Christ, you have been reconciled to Him. You've been brought together. In Titus chapter 3, as Paul writes to this young man, he says at one time you were spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing in your spiritual bank account. But now, because of what Christ has done for you, God has abundantly blessed you. We have been given this new position as chosen, saved by grace, beloved children of God. We have been given a new position before the throne of the Father. While this new position, this is the greatest blessing that we could ever receive. Many people, however, take it for granted. They take this position to to make them be the best person that they want to be. Well, now that I'm saved, now that I've been made right, now I can do whatever I want to live the best life I want. They think now that I've been saved, even when I stumble, it doesn't matter because God will still forgive me. God will still love me just the same. However, this new position is something that only God can give to us. This is something only the God of heaven can do. Not on the basis of anything that we could ever do or anything we could ever say. For the only purpose and the only reason that it becomes a true, ever-present reality. If it were up to us, we would lose our salvation every day. If it were up to us, we would never, ever have assurance of faith. But because this is truly only of God, this is a true and ever-present reality for all eternity. Which is why Paul in Romans can say, there is nothing in this world or out of this world or in the supernatural that can ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. This position is only so we can boast in God and in His Son. Not in ourselves. When you come to encounter the true and the real Jesus, your position before Him changes completely. Not just for now, but forever. You will never, ever find yourself apart from His love. This is the God who says... Those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. These are the ones who Jesus said, I lay my life down for them. These are the ones who Jesus says, I come to give them life and life abundantly. We have been given this glorious position that we have been saved by his grace, changed forever. But secondly, Jesus also gives us a new passion. 
Now that Christ has, has changed our position with God the Father, it follows that our passion and our, our desire should be changed as well. Now that we have been saved by grace, now our passion, our desire should be for our spiritual growth. Think for a moment about, about why Paul wrote this letter to this church in the first place. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why did Paul write this? He, he wanted this church to, to overcome these, these evil heresies, these evil false teachings, by growing in their spiritual faith. Now that you've been saved, as Paul says to this church, make sure you know Him. Make sure you grow in, in your faith. Make sure you walk in your relationship with Him. And the same should be true of us. Now that we have been, been saved by grace, now that we have been, been reconciled to God, and now much more aware of uh, all the evils that surround us each and every day, we should earnestly desire to grow spiritually every moment of every day. Well, the question still remains, well, well if that's what we're supposed to do, if that's what we're supposed to desire, how do we do that? It's, it's easy for us to say that, but how do we do that? How do we begin to know God? Well, the way He's chosen to reveal Himself to us is through His Word. We have to know His Word. We have to sit under the sound preaching and teaching of His Word. We have to every day be in this book, studying and learning and meditating and soaking in all of these truths of, of what He is and what He does. How do we hear God? We communicate with Him through prayer. When Jesus talks about prayer, He says, when you pray, not if you pray. People say, well, I just, I, I just don't know what God wants me. I don't, he doesn't tell me. Well, have you asked Him? Have you talked to Him about it? Have you, have you come to Him and, and begged for Him to reveal these things to you? We pray to Him. How do we begin to, to feel His presence? And how do, we, how do we truly experience who God is? Through worship. He's given us the means of which to, to feel Him, to truly come to encounter and experience with Him through worship. And this, this worship is both in, in a corporate setting as we are here today, but also in a personal, individual, everyday occurrence. Worship is, in, is a lifestyle. Worship is not something we do, but it's something that we are. We are made as worshipers. And we can even add that, that even though we come together, that doesn't mean that we always worship when we're here. 
Worship is something that you, you have to do. It's an activity. You have to be involved in it. You can't just show up and expect worship to happen to you. You have to be here and be involved. Not just show up. That's how you experience God. These are the passions. These are the desires that we ought to have. To know God. To learn of Him. To hear from Him. To encounter Him every single day. And the truth of the matter is, if you're not doing this, you're living the Christian life wrong. To say that again, if, if we are not actively involved in these passions and these desires and they are not a part of our Christian life, then we're doing it wrong. We are not called simply to just be saved and that be the end all of everything. We are not called to a content, complacent life. When people came to Jesus in the Bible, He didn't just say, great, I'm glad you're here, now you can just do whatever you want. Now you've had it all. But He said, go do this. Go be changed. We are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling every moment of every single day. And our sanctification, our growth and holiness should be taken very seriously. However, many people do not. They choose to be content. They choose to be complacent. They choose to have just enough to get by. They choose just enough to feel good. Whereas Christ has called us to grow. Christ has called us to mature. Just because you come to know the Lord Jesus doesn't mean you automatically know it all. Just because you come to know the Lord Jesus doesn't mean that you have everything you need. Just because you come to know the Lord Jesus doesn't mean that this is where your life meets its pinnacle, its climax, its top. We have to strive every single day, as Paul says, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should have the passion to grow spiritually every moment of every single day. But our passion should not just be for, for our spiritual growth, but, but our passion should be for the spiritual growth of others. We call this discipleship. We should have the passion to see other people grow. We should have the passion to walk beside people and to help them grow in their walk with the Lord as we continue to nurture our walk with the Lord. These people that Paul named, they went through so much discipleship with Paul. These people went through all these missionary journeys with him. They, they went to these towns and, and they, they lived with him. They heard him preach. They helped him do ministry. He discipled them intentionally to see them grow in their faith. And, and notice with me that the impact that this discipleship had on these people. In verse number 12 that we read, Epaphras, many believe him to be the pastor of the church at Colossae. And we see that, that in, as Paul is writing this, he says, he's praying for you. He is actively praying every single day for you. He labors every single moment to pray for you. That you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. 
And listen to how Paul talks of him in verse 13. I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you. How many of us have a deep concern for the well-being of other believers? How many of us have such an earnest desire so as to pray for each and every one that is in this room? How many of us have an earnest desire to pray for all the believers that we know in our lives? These men and women who have been called of God as we are. In verse number 17, we meet a man named Archippus who has been according to Paul a part of the Colossian church. And Paul says, stay to this young man. Say to this person who is a part of your body, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord. In other words, we see that God is raising up men within this church for the gospel ministry. And he is saying to this church, take care of that man. Nurture him. Walk beside of him as he seeks to find what God has in store for his life. And continue to raise up these men. Continue to raise up these people who will go out and serve the kingdom of God. And how do they do that? Through the act of discipleship. Through the act of caring to to see them grow in their walk with Christ. To see them grow in their relationship with the Lord. This is exactly why Paul told Timothy, the young pastor of the church of Ephesus, these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, don't keep it to yourself. Don't just hold these truths for your own well-being, but share them with everyone around you. Share them with others so that way they can go and share with others. And then they can take it and go share it with even more people. If Christ has radically changed us through His saving grace, then we should have a burning desire to grow in our faith and to help others to grow also. We should earnestly desire to see the life that God has for us. Jesus gives us a new position. We are made right before the Father. He gives us a new passion to to grow in our faith and to to help disciple others. But He also gives us a new purpose. We've been given a new position, a new passion. And as we begin to to rest and develop in in these changes in our life, we begin to find a new purpose in our life. You see, in our old life, Our purpose was to appease ourselves. Our purpose was to make us feel good, to make us look the best, to make us be the best, to lift us up, to exalt our own name and our own fame to all people around us. But now, in this new life, in this new change, our purpose is to honor and to glorify God. Now it changes. Now it's no longer about us. Now it's all about Him. It's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything. When you sit down to eat a meal, when you go get a glass of water, when you walk down the aisles at Walmart, when you get in your car to drive to work, when you wake up in the mornings, when you get dressed, to go wherever. Do everything in your life 
for the glory of God, not for yourself. Again, this is easier said than done. How, how do we honor and glorify God in, in every little aspect of our lives? How do we honor and glorify God in, in every way possible? Well, as, as we looked at our passage in, in Colossians chapter 3 last week, as Pastor Tommy preached, Paul said, whatever you do, do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than men? knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. And here's the key. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. How do we know that we honor and we glorify God? Because we only serve one person. We only serve one king. We only serve one master. How do we honor and glorify God in everything that we do? Because we faithfully and obediently serve Him. That means whatever it is He's called you to do, wherever it is He's called you to go, you go there and you do that. Which is pleasing to Him. As we look at at these names, Paul begins to show us that, that these people have embraced this new purpose in their life. Some of these people sent and read this letter to the churches. Some of these people prayed for the church. Some of these people encouraged Paul while he was imprisoned writing this letter. Some of these people even started a house church for crying out loud. These people embraced the calling that God had put on their lives. And as they went and they did that and they sought the honor and the glory of God, Paul says they are fruitful because they have served the one true King, the one Master whom they belong to, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, Brandon, I just can't pray for people like that. I'm not called to, to teach as other people are. I'm not called to start a house church. I'm not called to do this. I'm not called to do that. I'm not called to, to all of these different things. But, but hear the encouragement here that, that God uses every single gift of the Spirit. He doesn't just pick and choose which gifts He wants to use. He doesn't just pick and choose which gifts He wants to utilize. He doesn't just pick and choose which gifts bring Him glory and which gifts don't. He uses all of them. In the book of Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, Whatever gift God has called you to to have, whatever gift God has given to you, just use it for His glory. Use it for His kingdom. Use it to bring His name to be known among all the nations. Use it to bring honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this truth right here is why unity is so vitally important. Each of us has been called and gifted for a different purpose, for a different task. Your calling is different than my calling. And my calling is different than your calling. My gifts differ from yours and yours from mine. But when we come together, 
unified for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus, then that is an unstoppable force. That's why we have to come together using our gifts to the glory of God. Using them as He has called us to use them. Embracing the calling that He has put on our lives. A church cannot function properly or efficiently if part of the body isn't working correctly or even not working at all. When part of the body isn't working correctly, that can be fixed. We can fix correction. But the sad truth is there are some churches where parts of the body just simply aren't working. Just not working at all. They're laying dormant. They're laying stale. They're laying cold and dead. But believers hear what I'm saying when we come together unified for the purpose of the kingdom of God and we use the gifts and the callings that He has put on our lives. The change will be so dramatically impactful we will not even begin to recognize where we once were. Just imagine the impact we could have on the lost world around us if every single person who is a part of this body embraced this purpose and embraced the calling that God has put on their lives. Just imagine. We would see lives changed. We would see sinners come to faith. We would see addictions start to fall. We would see doors opening where doors were closed. We would see lives where death once was. We would see families coming together. We would see marriages reconciled. We would see lives changed all for the kingdom of God. And all because we came together for the purpose of God and His kingdom instead of ourselves. Many people ask me, Brandon, why is it you do what you do? Why is it you do all that you do? You you are so actively involved in so many different things. Why do you do all of these different things? And I tell them the same thing. It's not because I want to do it. It's because God has told me to do it and I see lives changed. I am so invested in my relationship with the Lord. I am so desperately in love with the Creator who made me and died for me. And so I have been desired and passionate and burdened to share this with everyone around me. And so many lives have been changed. Not because of what I wanted to do. Not because of anything that I could have ever said or done. But only because of the God who loved me enough to save me and to encourage me, embolden me, empower me, and call me to share this love with everyone that I know. Just imagine the impact we as a church body can have when we come together To proclaim the name of Jesus. So as we come to the end of the book of Colossians. We come to this final moment. The first question I want to ask is have you met the real Jesus? He's here. If you haven't met him, he's right here. He's in this room. He's in this building. He has open arms. 
He has love to give. His grace never runs out. And He's here to meet you if you've never met Him. To the believer, are you truly and devotedly pursuing Him every moment of every day? When you wake up, as you go through your day, is your heart burning with desire to know Him and to know Him more? To learn from Him, to hear from Him, to to experience Him? Do you have that burning desire to know your God? Have you truly committed your life to His service for His glory and His kingdom? Have you surrendered to the calling that God has put on your life? To do whatever it is He has called you to do. Have you given your life to Him for His service? As we have this time together, this altar will be open. I'll be down front if anyone needs them to pray, needs me to pray with them. This message has impacted me. In such a way that I will truly never be the same anymore. As God has spoken to your heart, as God has spoken and revealed things to you, my prayer is that you would obediently come, respond to Him in faith. He hears the prayers of His people, He hears the cries of our hearts. As God has spoken to you, may you faithfully, obediently respond according to his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we don't even know where to begin at times. Your grace goes far beyond our comprehension. Your love exceeds far beyond what we could dare think of. And yet we still find ourselves falling in awe at who you are. Lord, you have changed us in such a way that we can truly say that we, are, we will never be the same again. You have given us such a new life that is so different than what we once were. You have saved us with your grace. You have displayed the greatest demonstration of your love. Lord, give us a desire to know you. May your spirit fan the flame of passion within us to know you and to know you more. Lord, help us as we nurture our walk with you to to walk beside other believers, to help them to know you, to help them to grow in their grace, to help them to become the people that you have called them to be. And Lord, forgive us where we have sought our own will. Forgive us where we have sought for our own glory, for our own honor. And Lord, remind us that we serve one king. 
we serve one master. And there is only one name that stands the age of time, the name of Jesus. And it is for that name that we live. It is for that name that you have called us to serve. Lord, do in this time as only you can do. Move in such a way as only you can. May we respond in faithful obedience to what you have said to us. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we...
thank you again for being here with us this morning. Um, I want to just again remind you guys that those who are coming for the playground meeting will meet in here at 5 o'clock this afternoon instead of at 4.30. It's in your bulletin, 5 o'clock in here um, for the playground meeting. Let's pray and we will be dismissed. Lord, we again thank you for the love of which you have for us. We again are humbled by the grace that you have given to us, grace of which we are undeserving, grace of which has changed us dramatically from now until forever. And so we pray that as we leave this place, that your grace would not remain here, that the change would not stay within this building, but that we would take this grace, this change, to all that we know, to all that we come into contact with in the coming weeks. Be with us, Lord, as we go this place. May your hand of blessing rest abundantly on each one that is here and bring us back again next time as you have called us to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.